You know, sometimes when you're bringing prophecy, you can cross swords with people. And people can be annoyed because it's not their line of prophecy. Or they can be annoyed and upset because it does deal with nations. But whatever nation we're from, let it be known that whatever nation you live in, whether it's here in Ireland or Northern Ireland, Scotland, England, Wales, or Europe, or wherever else, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And God in his saving grace isn't looking at what nation you belong to in salvation of your soul. He is looking at the acceptance or the rejection of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and what he has done. So whether we believe we're from a denomination that believes one thing or another, you'll bear with me tonight because some things I say might seem a little strange. Maybe you've heard them before, maybe you haven't. But we're going to talk tonight about the beast, the dragon, and the false prophet. The beast, the dragon, and the false prophet. Will you turn with me to the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ? Revelation chapter 16. Let your eye run down to verse 12. Revelation 16 and verse number 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. Now you'll notice I have mentioned that in each message and I'm going to explain a little bit more tonight. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates and the waters thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come as a thief. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. And he gathered them together into a place called in the Hebrew tongue Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. And there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. And there were voices and thunders and lightnings and there was a great earthquake such as was not since men were upon the earth. So mighty an earthquake and so great. And the great city was divided into three parts. And the cities of the nations fell. And great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. And every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And they fell upon men and there fell upon men a great hail out of heaven. Every stone about the weight of a talent and men blaspheme God because of the plague of the hail, for the plague thereof was exceeding great. Let's pray again. Father, thank you that you've saved us. Thank you for the precious blood of the Lamb. We thank you that we are yours and we're secure in Christ. We pray, Father, that now you would touch my lips to be able to speak well of the things of God and not of man. 
We ask you, Lord, that you would take from our minds and our memories all things that would hinder us tonight. And Lord, give us spirits that would receive your word and give us, Lord, the ability, Lord, to accept that which you're showing us. And may you be glorified, Lord Jesus Christ, for it's in your name we ask it. Amen. Amen. The dragon, the beast, and the false prophet. Revelation 16 and verse 13 says, And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Then it tells us what they are. They are spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world. And it then tells us their objective is to gather them to the battle of that great day of God Almighty. Now you'll have to notice something here as we're bringing this. First of all, there's an angel in verse 12. An angel with a vial poured out in verse 12. Notice, the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. Now we've spoken about this great river Euphrates and many will say, well, the river Euphrates must dry up before the Lord comes back and all this. Brothers and sisters, I beg to differ. For the great river Euphrates drying up was the Ottoman Empire that we have spoken about the last few evenings, which ruled Jerusalem from Turkey. They were an Islamic or Muslim Ottoman Empire, and they filmed the whole way down through the river Euphrates, where at that time for irrigation, people populated the whole land of the Fertile Crescent, down into Iraq and down into Iran. And of course, that great empire of the Ottomans were there until the very finish of the seven times punishment of the House of Judah, which began in 604 BC, with Judah being carried away into Babylon with Nebuchadnezzar, by Nebuchadnezzar. And the seven times punishment from our scale being from uh, Leviticus chapter 26, the Lord says, if you walk contrary unto me, I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And we worked out seven times is 2,520. That is 360 multiplied by seven is 2,520. And 2,520 a day for a year principle gives us 2,520 years. 604 BC, we carry it right down through the birth of our Lord and all those kingdoms that overruled Jerusalem. And it finishes in the year 1917. 1917 is when General Allenby went with the little bi-wing planes and liberated Jerusalem with them flying over, fulfilling Isaiah 31 and verse 5. As birds flying, so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. And also then, uh, there was a metal actually struck up. You can, you can look at it online. You can Google this if, you, if you're online. And there was a metal struck up by the number 14 uh, air, air, bomber, air, air bomber squadron that Alan B. had. And on that metal that said, I spread my wings and keep my promise. And that's what the Lord did from Isaiah 31 and verse 5. He spread his wings as it were. Allenby, the Christian general, sent over the plains. The Turks dropped weapons without a shot being fired, without a bomb being dropped. And that was a crucial year. And it's crucial for Revelation 16 as well. Because we see these three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the dragon, out of the mouth out of the, of the, of the beast, the dragon, and the false prophet. Notice this. Let's look at the scripture. 
and it's to make way that the kings of the east may be prepared in verse 12. Now take note of this. The river Euphrates dries up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Now we have to ask ourselves in the year 2017, 100 years on from the release of the liberation of Jerusalem by Allenby, we have to look at this and think with modern technology, with modern weapons of warfare, with rockets and with aeroplanes, even how they can build bridges within hours or minutes to allow tanks to drive over them, why would the river Euphrates ever need to dry up? But in saying that, it already has dried up almost on a number of occasions too. So the river Euphrates will dry up, dried up because the Ottoman Empire started to dry up, becoming just the Turkish Republic that it has become even to this day. And Jerusalem was liberated just as God had said. And why are this, is this happening? Why are these spirits like unclean, unclean spirits like frogs coming out? Let your eye run down to verse 14. It says, For they are the spirits of devils working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day. Of God Almighty. So this battle starts to emerge and this battle starts to take place. And something happens then. The Lord then gives us his coming then. Look at it says, Behold, I come as a thief in verse 15. Blessed is he that watcheth and keepeth his garments, lest he walk naked and they see his shame. The Lord is telling us something's going to happen here. There's going to be a battle happening and he's returning. That's the time that we're living in. These are the days that we are living in in 2017. Notice if you let your eye run down again before we go any further in verse 17. And the seventh angel poured out his vial into the air. Notice. And there came, uh, uh, there, there came a great voice out of the temple of heaven from the throne saying, It is done. Now, the term it is done is the same term it is finished when Christ cried on the cross. It is finished. Your sins and my sins were paid in full, past, present, and future. And Christ, his blood, shall never lose its power. And our brother had prayed it tonight that he had sacrificed himself, one sacrifice forever. It's never going to be repeated again. Christ will never die on the cross again. He's coming back not as a lamb, but as a lion, as the lion of the tribe of Judah, as a king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so the term here for the seventh file, seven is a number in scripture for completion and perfection. This is the last file, so it's the seventh file. And so when this vial is poured out, we haven't time to look at it, but if you read right through all those, those vials, they're poured out on the earth, the earth, somewhere on the earth. But this vial, the last one, is poured out into the air. So the warfare that comes is aerial. It's, it, it's a, an aerial warfare. It's coming, as it were, through the heavenlies. And so we know with our capabilities today that very likely we could be seeing rockets rain down from all over the place in a global war. And we know that there's nuclear weapons. I don't know whether there be even weapons of mass destruction or whether even worse destruction to happen 
nevertheless heal as it were the prophet sees heal fall out of heaven and he sees the destruction of it notice how powerful this destruction is in verse 19 the great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and great Babylon came in remembrance before God to give unto her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Now notice this, great Babylon. And then in verse 20, and every island fled away and the mountains were not found. And so we see that this desolation and destruction that comes from man's uh, abilities, God says this is a vial that's being poured out upon the earth. He says that when this happens, he says, you're going to find that you are almost completely annihilated. And you know what? The Bible even tells us, the Lord Jesus himself said, save the Lord shorten the days. There should be no flesh saved, but for the elect's sake, he would shorten those days. And I just thank the Lord that I am one of the elect because I've trusted in Christ, because I'm washed in the blood, because I've been to Calvary, and I'm trusting in that finished work that he has accomplished when he cried, it is finished. And so the last vial is, it is done. In other words, this is the vial to finish vials. This is the war to finish all wars. This is the devastation to finish all devastations. This is the destruction to finish all destruction. He says, this is the last. It's Armageddon, or the, the, the geographical place of Armageddon is used. And so when this happens, we hear what men say then in verse 21. And there fell upon men a great hill out of heaven, every stone about the weight of a talent, and men blasphemed God. Now, wouldn't you think at the worst of times in the battle of Armageddon, when nation is against nation, and all these kingdoms are against kingdoms, and there are almost annihilation and destruction of themselves, that man would turn to God and cry for mercy? Surely we would say, but sure, God, why would you allow that? Because God is justified in all of his ways. And God lets us see the depravity of the human heart, the inability to save ourselves, and the wickedness that man can fall into when he is apart from God. That's the wickedness of every man's heart whenever he is without God. And so we find that men start to blaspheme even in their dying breath, even when there's destruction even when there's bombs dropping around them, even when there's mushroom clouds going up, even when great hail is coming down and falling down upon cities, when there's islands are, are flying away, in other words, they're devastated and mountains are having holes blasted through them and they're no longer there and nations are being devastated. The mountains can speak of nations. And this devastation is coming. And we find that man still does not turn to the Savior. Man in his own wicked heart. He starts to blaspheme God and to blame God. And sure it's no different even right now. For everything that happens, man doesn't want to know God. But when something happens, instead of turning to God, we blame God. And man says, Lord, why did you allow this to happen? It was like whenever there was a TV broadcast and uh, Anne Graham Lotz, that's Billy Graham's daughter, was being interviewed on a television broadcast at the time of 9-11. And the, the interviewer says, why would God, who's loving and kind, allow this to happen to these twin towers? And, and the conversation went this way. And Anne Graham Lotz says, well, 
You've put them out of their schools. You don't want them in your universities. You don't want them in the colleges. You don't want them in the streets. You don't want them in the families anymore. And she went through all of this. Says, and you've put them out of the nation. And so when this happens, then everyone turns and says, where are you, Lord? And he says, you don't want me. You don't want me. And that's the heart of men and women. We do not want him. But you see, it takes the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Ghost comes and moves upon a heart, then we realize our need of Christ and we call upon the Lord to be saved. And so it's all of sovereign grace. It's a sovereign work. And those of us who are saved by sovereign grace and trusting in the Lord Jesus, you and I are kept by sovereign power. It's a wonderful thing. And in these times, our Lord is coming back for a glorious bride. And he's coming and we will be reunited with our Christ, with our great bridegroom. So notice this. Notice this. These men, they are blaspheming God because of this, what's called the great plague. Now I want to look at this evening, the Lord helping me. We want to look at this angel and then we want to, pouring out this vial. And then we want to look at other prophecies in the Old Testament that relate to this. This angel that pours out the sixth vial, the sixth angel, and six is the number of man. Six is the number of man. And he pours it out upon the river Euphrates. So now the river Euphrates in 1917 is starting to dry up. And the Ottoman Empire, the Turkish uh, Muslim Ottoman Empire is starting to retract and it's letting go of its grip because it can't hold it anymore. And Jerusalem has been liberated by General Allenby. So we want to look at, at what we, our Lord said. Uh, and we have read it over and over again. So we'll not dwell on it too much when he says uh, that Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. I want to look just briefly at the Gentile kingdoms. Uh, that were over Jerusalem. So Jesus said, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. So what is the times? If you remember, the times of the Gentiles were the seven times punishment from Leviticus 26. I will punish you seven times more for your sin, he says. And when Judah went into gross idolatry and sin, God sent Nebuchadnezzar and he allowed him to come in and carry away the people. And that was in 604 BC. The seven times of the Gentiles finished in 1917. Okay, so that's what we're going to look at for a moment. Will you turn with me to the book of Daniel, please? And we'll come back here again. The book of Daniel. Now, I, this is an overview, and there's a lot we could say, and there's a lot we could try and piece together. But we just haven't got time. It would take weeks to do this. But if you go to the book of Daniel, let's just read uh, to start off with Daniel chapter 2. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream. His soothsayers cannot tell him what the dream is. And they definitely can't interpret it because they can't tell what the dream is. They sent for Daniel, who's a captive of the Jews. He's captive from Judah. And he comes in and he says, I want you to tell me, Daniel, you have an excellent spirit. In other words, he had the spirit of God with him. But you have an excellent spirit and you tell me what my dream is. And then I want you to tell me the interpretation. So I'm going to just read from verse 31. Daniel comes back with this. 
And this is the interpretation. Listen to what he says. Thou, O king, sawest, and behold, a great image. This great image, whose brightness was excellent, stood before thee, and the form thereof was terrible. The image's head was of fine gold, his breast and arms of silver, his belly and thighs of brass, his legs of iron, his feet part of iron and part of clay. Thou sawest till that a stone was cut out without hands, which smote the image upon his feet that were of iron and clay, and brake them to pieces. Then was the iron, the clay, the brass, the silver, the gold, broken to pieces together, and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, that no place was found for them. And the stone that smote the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now that's the dream. Notice this, verse 36. This is the dream, and we will tell the, the interpretation thereof before the king. Thou, O king, art a king of kings, for the God of heaven hath given thee a kingdom and power and strength and glory. And wheresoever the children of men dwell, the beasts of the field and the fowls of heaven hath he given unto thine hand and hath made thee ruler over them all. Notice, thou art this head of gold. Do you see that? Thou art this head of gold. So Nebuchadnezzar's dream starts with an image of a head of gold, then silver, then brass, then iron, then iron and clay feet. The interpretation, he says, you're the head of gold, Nebuchadnezzar. The Babylonian kingdom is the head of gold. And so after that, just for time's sake, I'll just run through this. After that comes the silver kingdom. And it's got two arms. The silver kingdom represents the Medes and the Persians that come because there's two arms, one for each, Medes and Persians. And then, of course, that's the lesser kingdom. They overtake the Babylonian kingdom. After the Medes and Persians, there's the brass midriff, which is Alexander the Great. The Grecian Empire comes, and it overtakes uh, the Medes and the Persians. Then in time after that comes the iron legs. The iron legs speak of the pagan Roman Empire. The pagan Roman Empire are at the time of the Lord Jesus Christ. The pagan Roman Empire at the time of AD 70 when the Jewish temple was destroyed and they were taken away to Italy under Caesar and under Titus, the Roman prince. And then that goes right down through something else happens. It becomes different. Iron and clay starts to form. And of course that brings us right into the European Union today and the things that are happening in the European Union. And so these, these, uh, these kingdoms right the whole way through and right up to this then came in between there into Jerusalem, came in the Muslim Empire. And that was the Ottoman Empire when Allenby liberated it in the year 1917. So Jesus said, Jerusalem shall be trodden down of the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles will be fulfilled. And the times of the Gentiles were fulfilled in 1917. Okay, so I hope everyone's with me on that. Now, we will look at the empires in a minute because they go towards the west. They go following where the lost sheep went. They go over to oppose it every way that it turns. So what we're going to look at now for a moment is this. If you go to Daniel chapter 5, Belshazzar's feast. Belshazzar... The king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords 
and drank wine before the thousand. Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple which was in Jerusalem. And the kings and the princes and his wives and his concubines might drink therein. And they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood and of stone. Now notice the gods that they're praising. All but this wood here and the, and the stone, they are representing the kingdoms of the dream also. And it tells us this, that in Daniel chapter 2, a stone cut out without hands comes and smashes this image in his feet. And the image with the gold, with the silver, with the brass, with the iron is all linked together. In other words, the, the whole worship system comes right down through these kingdoms. And the stone cut out without hands, it wasn't a brick that was made with straw uh, to bind it together like they would have done, Israel would have done in Egypt. But uh, it wasn't like a brick you and I have in a kiln that comes out. It was a stone cut out without hands. In other words, it wasn't something that was man-made, but it was something from God created. And the stone cut out without hands smashes it in the feet and all these kingdoms crumble at once. And this is a sign of Babylon the Great that falls and falls. And what happens? The stone becomes a kingdom. It becomes a great mountain in the earth. That means it becomes a kingdom. And then it fills the whole earth. So what does that mean? The stone kingdom was the kingdom of God coming to earth in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The stone kingdom now by Daniel, they were being decimated all over the earth. They were being scattered throughout the nations. And now by this time, they were being allowed to come back again shortly. And they were allowed to, to build the temple and the walls again for the Lord Jesus Christ to come. He goes to the cross and he redeems us with his precious blood. He's buried. He's risen again the third day. He's ascended into glory. He's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. And he's coming back again. In the meantime, we have his Holy Spirit with us. And the kingdom of God is growing. And the kingdom of God is extending. And when Christ returns, he will set up his kingdom upon the earth. And he shall reign over all the earth. You see, so this is the idea of these kingdoms. So when Christ returns, when Christ returns again, he is going to smash Babylon the Great. Every false religion, every Christ rejecter, every man and woman that's turned away his sacrifice on the cross. Christ is going to judge them and they are going to be found guilty as charged and they are going to go to a great lake of fire that we find in Revelation chapter 19. Notice this in 20. Notice this. Notice this. These, these uh, kingdoms that come down, Belshazzar is having a party. And he's safe inside his great Babylonian walls. You see, Babylon always boasted itself in its strength. And in its, 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 its religious powers. 
And whenever Belshazzar's here now, it says he's Nebuchadnezzar's uh, uh, son, but many think he's his grandson. But nevertheless, he is his son according to this. And so what happened was he had all his kings and his princes and he's showing off and he says, I know what we'll do. The God of Israel, the God whose whose temple that we have, have wrecked and ruined, the God whose people we have carried away, let's take the gold and let's take their silver from the temple, bring them out and let's make sport with it and fun with it and pour in abomination with it and let's drink with it and let's make merry with it and let's have an orgy and party with it. And God says, oh, this night is the finish of it. This night is the finish. You see, there's only so long a man and woman can shake their fist at God. There's only so long a man and woman will get away with shaking their fist at God. One old Puritan says this. He says, man who spits against heaven will always find it falls back on his own face. Now you think of that. It'll just fall back on you. You see, they spit against heaven and there's men and women in the United Kingdom. There's men and women from Belfast to Dublin, from London to Londonderry. There's men and women from north, south, east and west and they shake their fist against God and they flaunt their sin in his face and they turn away the Lord Jesus Christ and they reject the blood that he shed and they worship the gods of gold and silver and self and humanity and they worship the gods of job and family and they worship the gods of all their sinning. But the Lord says there's coming a day. He says when I will say it is done and enough is enough. Oh, but what about the souls of these men and women? We must pray for them and reach them. We must cry unto God for them. Notice this. Notice this. Belshazzar's having his feast. And in verse 5 it says, In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and rode over against a candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another and cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans and the soothsayers. And the king spake and said unto the wise men of Babylon, whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and shall have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be third ruler in the kingdom. And then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Now the queen, by reason of words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. There is a man in thy kingdom. Praise God, he always has his man at the right time. There's a man in the kingdom. Praise the Lord. There's a man in the kingdom. A man who was unafraid to pray three times a day. A man who was unafraid to stand up and stand out for the living God. A man who was unashamed of God when others were bowing and worshipping before that great idol that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. A man who says, no, I serve the one true living God. The God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. And I will not bow my knee to the gods of this world and the spirits of the devils. Oh, and this woman saw it and says, don't be troubled, Belshazzar. 
There's a man in the kingdom. Oh God, raise up men in the kingdom. Raise up men and women in the kingdom, oh God, who will take their stand for you, Father. Raise up men and women in the kingdom of God, oh, that will go forward and be unashamed and unafraid to take the name of Jesus everywhere they go. Notice this. So they get Daniel and it says that, let your eye down, just for, run down for, for time's sake. And he, he starts to interpret what is said. Look down to verse 24. Then the part of the hand sent from him, and this writing, writing was written. This is the writing that was written. Mini, mini, tikel, you fartsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Mini, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tikel, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided. Notice. And given to the Medes and Persians. Now what was the dream that his grandfather, his father Nebuchadnezzar had seen? The two arms of silver, thy kingdom is divided of the Medes and the Persians. You see now where prophecies fitting in here. Thy kingdom is divided, he says. And the two kings of the Medes and the Persians came. And they came that night on Belshazzar. And his princes and his concubines and his wives were all decimated and killed. Oh, we don't know the day and the hour Christ will return. Neither do we know the day and the hour that our breath will be taken from our lungs. Neither do we know the day and the hour when we will stand before God. But this we know, that when we are in Christ, then we're ready to meet the Lord. We're ready to meet him. Notice this also. The words here, meaning, meaning to kill your farce. And now there's a study of prophecy in this in itself. And I haven't time to go into it. My word, the time is flying already. You're listening to me for about a half an hour already, believe it or not. Maybe it seems longer to you, but I don't know. And I haven't even got into my story yet. But listen to this. Whenever uh, this writing come on the wall, meaning, meaning to kill your farson, or meaning, meaning to kill Perez, the idea of this is every letter in the Hebrew had a numerical value. And I can't go into it all tonight, but when you break it down, the numerical value of this, do you know when the, what the numerical value comes to? 2,520. Praise God. And what is that? He's saying this is the kingdoms, the Gentile powers. These are the heathen that will overrule Jerusalem. And Jesus says, what did he say? That, that, that Jerusalem shall be captive until what? The times of the Gentiles shall be fulfilled. And this is the same, the 2,520 years. Isn't God's word amazing? Absolutely fantastic. And of course, again, we say it was finished in the year 1917. Now go back with me just for a moment to the book of Revelation, please. Revelation chapter 16 again. Chapter 16. Verse 12. And the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the waters thereof was dried up, that the ways of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. Now, why is 1917 and this 2,520 years finishing then? Why is it so important? Because then... We've seen a greater rise again in these three frogs or these three spirits. Notice what these spirits are in verse 14. For they are the spirits of devils. So they're obviously not spirits of 
coming from God. They are the spirits of devils. Now, when Allenby liberated Jerusalem in 1917, we told you last night that the Turkish Ottoman Empire, they ruled right through and right down into the Balkan states, Turkey, right over into Iran and so on. And whenever uh, he walked in there, he walked in with the Australian uh, soldiers and, and uh, soldiers from the Commonwealth at the time, and they liberated uh, the city. Now, in 1919, two years later, what was known as the Mandate for Mesopotamia, that's that whole region of the Euphrates River, that fertile crescent, the Mandate for Mesopotamia was allotted to Great Britain. They had liberated it. And the same year saw the signing by the Turkey of what's known as the Treaty of Severus. And the Treaty of Severus meant that they were agreeing to a sort of a peace treaty at this time where they were withdrawing to become just the Turkish uh, nation that they are today. For example, 1914, their empire was 613,000 square miles. And it was reduced to 175,000 square miles by 1924. See the, the, how it's starting to dry up. And of course then the whole dynasty of the Ottoman Empire was all, almost ended into the Turkish Republic a few years later. So it was all dried up. The river Euphrates had dried up. And why? That the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. So what does that mean? Well... Notice what these kings are like first. First of all, three unclean spirits are like frogs. Now, frogs were the, an Egyptian god. So the Lord is showing us something here about this. And the Egyptian gods, uh, or frog gods, were for a sign of fertility and childbirth. So the Egyptians would have worshipped frogs for, to, to have children and to have many children. They thought that this was a sign of fertility and childbirth. And remember, God sent in frogs, a plague of frogs. And he says, you want to worship your frogs? You think you'll do great by your own fertility, by your own, by your own strength? And he floods Egypt with frogs, if you remember that. Well, here again, the frogs are being mentioned. It's like an, a, a, an Egyptian plague coming all over again. And notice what it says here. They are like frogs and they are going forth unto all the kings of the earth and to the whole world. It's a global thing that happens then. Now notice this. First of all, we have the dragon. The dragon, what is the dragon? I haven't time to go into these in great detail. I have done weeks and weeks in these when I was in my last pastorate. And I've done them for weeks. And you actually can download them if you want to download them. And the dragon is simply... Communism arose in 1917, the Red Dragon. Communism under Mao Zedong in China arose around that year too. I told you, I think it was two nights ago, Mao Zedong was a young Chinese student and he went to Russia and he was studying Marxism. Now Marxism is not just in Russia. Marxism is all over the world Marxism is in South America. Marxism is in Stormont. Marxism is in London. Marxism is in Washington. And so we have Marxism, which becomes communism. There was the Bolshevik Revolution. And listen, most of the Bolshevik Revolution, or a lot of them, I should say, the leaders of them, came actually from, believe it or not, Jewish families, like uh, of Lenin and Trotsky and others like him. 
And so they then had the Bolshevik Revolution. There were actually many, many Christians killed in Russia at this time as well. There was a slaughter there. And what happened was communism had taken over. And because communism had taken over, Mao Zedong had learned this, went back to China. He studied it. He started introducing it. And the the Chinese then fought against it, but they overcame uh, the, the Chinese who were against it at the time, the Chinese nationals, and pushed them. And they ran for their life, and they would flee then down into Taiwan. And again, as I told you, America backed them in Taiwan to stop them coming. And so that's why America and Taiwan are in Taiwan so much. And the Taiwanese and the Americans are so closely linked together. And so this is the same year that God liberates Jerusalem. The devil starts working. The spirits start working. And by the time the river Euphrates of the Ottoman Empire is completely dried up, communism is gripping. And then we have Korea, which became North Korea. Uh, and, and we know that America and Britain and other were in South Korea. But there was North Korea. Then there was Vietnam. And then it's moved to places like Cuba and so on and so on. And so this started to spread in many other countries too. So communism came on the rise from 1917. It started to rise up. So the red dragon of communism started to rise up. Now also in that you have to look at the atheist agenda in it. You have to look at the humanist agenda in it. And we can see in socialism, you know you see these nice parties, the social democrats or socialist party, and they seem like they're good for the people. And in some of their ideas or it might be seem okay. But socialism is close to Marxism, is an or spring forth of communism. And that's what happens. It starts in one and it generates to another. And so what happens is when we start to see socialists coming up through in, in strength, it's really a form of communism. And so this is being raised up and it's going all around the world. So the dragon is the, the, the red, red Russia or red China, that red dragon of communism. Notice this also. Secondly, there is the beast. The beast is the revived Roman Empire. Now, folks, I might shock one or two here. The revived Roman Empire goes like this. This is it in a nutshell. After the pagan, last pagan emperor, those legs of iron in Rome, the pagan Roman Empire, stretching over towards, towards Italy from, the, from Babylon across where Syria would be into Turkey and Italy. The, if you lay that man down of those empires and then there's Greece, then the Roman iron, iron legs... Then further into there, there were about 10 tribal factions that were around the outsides of, of Italy and around that area. In fact, it takes up most of what would be the European Union today. And it would be these. I probably not remember them all off by heart, so you'll forgive me. I'll, I'll give you a few of them anyway. The Goths, the Visigoths, there was the Ostrogoths, there was the Alans, there was the Huns, there was the Heruli. There's six off the top of my head. And they attacked Rome. And Roman Empire was right up to Hadrian's Wall. And 16 years before the fall of Rome, it was, the, the, the troops in Britain were drew back to Italy to defend Italy. Now you look at the picture of this, that shows us that Britain, at the fall of the Roman Babylonian system of the revived Roman Empire, should not be in Europe. It must be separate because it's all going to fall. Listen, I want the people of Holland. 
And I want the people of, of France, or I want the people of Spain, I want the people of the Republic of Ireland, or wherever else it's from, I want them to have their own nationality and to be friends together. Don't get me wrong. I want to be able to trade. But the system that overlords all the people of Germany, and I think of somebody from Latvia, I think it was tonight, or, or somewhere like that, and overlords all of us, they're oppressing us. It's a satanic movement. They're oppressing the people, and the people have become slaves to the system. So we're modern-day slaves, every one of us. But when Brexit came, we voted out. We voted out of it. You know what that was? I believe that was a move of God. I believe it was God voting to get out of it before the collapse. For when Jesus returns, the stone kingdom smashes it on its feet, and it's Babylon the great has fallen, has fallen. But oh, God is raising up men and women in these nations preaching the word and getting saved by grace. And it's a wonderful thing. Notice this, but the revived Roman Empire is in three parts. It's the monetary system of the, of the euro. Now listen, people think, well then sure, there's the dollar, there's the euro. Seeing the, seeing the, with all the head bankers systems like the, uh, like the Bilderbergers and the Rothschilds, they, they play everybody like this, you see. And they would start, they would fund the war here, and then they would fund the other side of the war. And then they'll make money because they're charging interest to this nation to, to borrow off them. And then they'll charge interest to these and who they're fighting against. And so they're the winners. And everybody else is the losers. War is no good. And so when we see this, you see the wickedness that's upon our nation. And this is also part of the Babylonian monetary system. They run all of it. Every centralized bank in every country. Do you know some of the only countries that didn't have a centralized bank? One of them was Libya. One of them was Syria. One of them was Iraq. Does it sound familiar? When troops were sent into all of these countries? Do you know why? Because... They wanted them to be under the banking system. And God said to Israel, when you borrow and lend, do not charge usury to your brother. It was to, to, to charge interest, in other words. That's why we're crippled. Nationally, we're crippled with interest. And we're crippled in our mortgages. We're crippled whenever we have uh, to drive our car. Whether we're putting petrol in the car or buying something in a shop, we're being taxed. And you know what that is? Slavery. We're all slaves. But guess what? The great liberator's coming. Christ is coming to set up his kingdom. And he's going to set the captives completely free from all of these things. Now, I notice this. It is monetarily... The Babylonian system. It is also, uh, if you want, ecclesiastical. Now, behind the European Union is the Roman Catholic Church. I'll maybe mention one or two things. I, I don't want to go too far into it because time's already gone almost. But let me just let me just read something to do with the European Union and the Roman Catholic Church. And when I say the Roman Catholic Church, I'm not talking about the Roman Catholic people. I'm not talking about that. I'm not talking about Roman, because Roman Catholic people need to hear the gospel. There's Protestants all over Ulster. There's Protestants all over the world. And they're told they're all right to be a Protestant. Listen, you'll never enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. He's not wanting to know you're a Protestant. 
He's wanting to know, are you, are you trusting in him? In 1945, the Pope launched the Christian Democratic Party. That's the party Angela Merkel is the head of. In 1950, Jean Monnet and Paul Henry Speck were devout Roman Catholics. They started up what was known as the European iron, steel and coal industry. And their words were for a re-Catholicized Europe. In 1957, the EEC, or the common market, was called, known as the Treaty of Rome. And in this European community then, we would see in 1973, Edward Heath signed the treaty. And he tells them, there's no, tells Britain there's no threat to their sovereignty. And of course our sovereignty has gone. We're fighting to get it back again. Westminster has become like a borough council of Europe. Now notice this. In 1990, after the fall then of the Berlin Wall, the Soviet bloc breaking up, it enters in. In 1992, we had the Maastricht Treaty. And then it becomes known as the European Union. The Pope canonizes the founders of the iron, steel, and coal industry. The Lisbon Treaty now, affected by Britain, now affects Britain politically, commercially, and of course, Babylon, Europe, then starts to drink Britain in and pull Britain in. We started paying so much money into Europe. Notice this. Parliament, as I said, is like a borough council. The monarchy or the queen is like a, just a citizen of Europe, according to them. The monarch, or pardon me, European law is enforced by the European police force. European police force could come tonight and arrest you because someone said something in France or Germany or, or wherever that you have committed a crime. You're not innocent until proven guilty, but you're guilty until someone proves you innocent. European army, they're looking to get a European army to gather defense forces. Why do you think they brought Britain and France together to join military forces? Because we were too small? Because we couldn't afford it? That's a lot of nonsense. They've done it because they're bringing us together under a European Union. And of course then, the European monetary system, they wanted us under the euro. This is nothing short of Nimrod's kingdom. Nothing short of Nimrod who built the tower to heaven and brought everyone together, but God came down and separated them. And so we have the, the blasphemy, as it were, of the woman on a scarlet-colored beast full of names. We have the Roman Catholic Church coming in and now bringing in ecumenizing every faith. It sounds nice, but it's not biblical. And there are, there are, whether they're Protestant, and there, there's, you can go online and look up, they're Jewish, and there's Muslim, and, and there's Hindu, and there's Buddhists, and, and they're bringing them all in. And guess what? They're all sitting around the Pope's feet, as it were. They're all standing with him. Now, listen, this is not to offend anyone, I promise you that. But I'll tell you what it is. It's to warn us that we as blood-washed Christians, and that doesn't mean that we are saying if you have grew up a Protestant that you're, you're a Christian or if you've grew up in a Protestant home that you're going to heaven. No, it doesn't mean that. What I'm saying is all of us who know Christ, we must be telling everyone from every tradition, from every denomination, listen, Jesus is coming and you must be saved. You must be born again. 
Time eludes me here. Let me tell you, the European Union's unofficial, trying to make it official, their unofficial national anthem. Let me just read a little verse of it. It's a national anthem. It's the Ninth Symphony of Ode to Joy, to the tune Ode to Joy. And the original lyrics were written by a man called Frederick Schiller. And this is the way it goes. Joyful spark of hope and glory. Unity with the divine. Drunken under fire. Goddess, we approach thy holy shrine. Thy magic shall unite forever. Those nations that which were not. Every mortal becomes one. And your rule shall not be forgot. So the beast of Europe, the beast of Europe is dragging everyone with it. And God's coming to destroy it. Every apostate Protestant church too. Every apostate religion. So, the false prophet I haven't time, but if you were to read uh, Revelation chapter 9 when you go home, you'll read of Abaddon and Apollyon, a star falling from heaven. Jesus says, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven to the earth. And these visions are coming up. The smoke comes up from the abyss. This is when Muhammad saw these visions in the desert. Jesus warns us of this in the desert in Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24 and verse 26. Matthew 24 and verse 26. He says, Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. Now, who was in the desert but Muhammad? And he saw the visions. And who's in the secret chamber? Who is, who is elected in the secret chamber? But the popes. He says, don't go after them. Jesus said that. Do not go after them. You know why? The only one we are to go after is him. And so he says in verse 15 of our chapter tonight I come as a thief. It's not that he's sneaky baking coming and he's going to whip us away somewhere. No. The idea is I am coming. The thief then they went in with loud banging and shaking. And there was shock and awe tactic. He says, and I'm coming and every eye will see me. Amen. And every eye, he says, will see me. Blessed is he that watcheth. Now, if he was coming secretly, why do we need to watch? Because we don't know. What do we see? For we don't see. But he says, watch the skies roll back like a scroll. And see my light, my, my glory as a lightning shines from the east to the west. 
Watch the skies light up with myriads of angels. Blessed is he that keeps his garments. Blessed is the Christian who's serving when I come. Britain, I have friends down south, and I've told them, do everything you can to get out of Europe. The last time they had their referendum, you know, the time before the last, they said they didn't want it. And you know what they said to them? Basically, not good enough, try again. You know what they're trying to do to Britain? UK, not good enough, try again. We're not going to try again. We want out. Because Christ is coming and he is going to destroy all in that system. And in Britain, those who are not saved, I'm trusting in the finished work. I'm trusting in the blood of Jesus. I'm trusting he's paid my debt. I'm trusting in him alone for the glory and honor of his name. Amen. Amen. God bless you all.